Hey, good morning. Welcome to the last ride on the rodeo of the book uh, or the letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up and turn or power it on if it's electronic. Turn to Philippians um, chapter 4 and we will get into, we'll finish up the book today. There's always a sense of accomplishment having come to the end, but hopefully that does not take away from what is to be learned. Uh, You know, when you... uh, My dad runs a lot. He runs in marathons. He runs in races. And there is a sense of accomplishment at finishing the race and your your place in in the pack is part of the competition. It is not so among the Bible. Uh, even as you, uh, people, people run, let's just say, for example, to compete, but also people run to stay in shape. They run because it's good for your body to have exercise. Coming to the end of a book or a letter of the Bible is far more about the latter, the exercise part. Doing it because it is good for you. It is worth doing. There's something to be gained. Not the glory that comes with the competition, uh, finishing at the front of the pack, but the good that comes from the process of it all. And that's what we're hoping, is in in the process of studying and reading the scriptures, hearing what God has to say to us, we might be transformed. We might be changed. We might be benefited by it. So anyhow, there's just a little plug so that uh, we don't get too excited about the fact that it's coming to an end. A little bit of background again. I'll just review. Paul's writing from prison. Terrible circumstances. He is nevertheless rejoicing. Once again, because he's he's not taken up in his own circumstances, but he's rather thinking of himself and his life as united to Christ and his life work being about Jesus. So if Jesus' work, the gospel, is going forward and succeeding, even while Paul is suffering, he's going to rejoice and be glad. And that's what he does. The key, he says in chapter 2, is having the mind of Christ. And that particularly is, is this mind to uh, empty himself of any sort of prerogative and right to uh, an entitlement to have your life be something. But Jesus laid all of that aside. He became a servant. He became obedient to his Father, obedient to torture and death on the cross. And he did all this because he was rejecting this worldly way of being in which we are conceited. Our mind is focused on ourselves and what we can get out of life. And because our mind is focused on ourselves and what we are getting and our needs, we end up competing with other people. We end up creating rivalries where we fight over who's going to get what, because i got to make sure that I get my own. 
That is not the mind of Christ, Paul says. We should each be looking to the interests of others above our own. And that's exactly what you see Jesus doing. Why did he become human? Why did he go to the cross? For himself? He was putting the needs of others above his own. He was putting our needs above his own. So, Paul says, follow this example and work out. All y'all together, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because this God who does this is at work inside of you. He's working it out. You know, we still have that rivalry and that conceit built up inside of us. And the Lord's working it out. Then he says he's going to send, he, he's, he himself is doing this. By sending, by sending his companions back to the Philippians and putting the Philippians' needs above his own. He has some serious needs in prison. But nevertheless, he's going to send his companions back to them for their sake. And then Paul has a warning in, which he, in chapter 3 in which he tells them, hey, there are other people. Paul calls them dogs, people who, mut- who mutilate the flesh. There are people who are going to try and cut in on your faith and ruin things. He says that they glory in themselves rather than glorying in Christ. They're going to ruin things for you by saying that in order to be truly pious, in order to truly follow Jesus, in order to truly have faith, you need to uh, follow the Jewish law, essentially. You need to become circumcised, you need to follow dietary restrictions, you need to follow the Jewish calendar. Those are the things that, that they'll say that you have to do. And Paul says, that, don't even get on that ladder. Because that's a ladder to self-glory rather than the glory of Christ. And his glory is the only thing that matters. Paul says, I was on that ladder. I was at the top of that ladder. And I can tell you from the top, it's not worth it. He says, all those achievements, all those rungs that I got up, got me nowhere. He says, I count that whole thing as what's in the bottom of a... Johnny on the spot or a honey bucket. That's what all of that is. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, that is having this this intimate relationship with Christ Jesus in which his sufferings are Christ's own sufferings and, and Christ's gains in the gospel are his own gains so that his circumstances cannot be viewed without a connection to Jesus. This is why he can rejoice. And that's why he says, this one thing I pursue. Knowing Christ, becoming like him in his sufferings, being raised like him in death, being raised from the dead, acquiring the resurrection. Paul says, I lay aside what was what came before and I strain forward to what lies ahead I press on to the upward call in Christ Jesus and he says do this too you guys should do this too we are citizens of heaven not citizens of earth 
So our perspective should not be earthly. It should be heavenly. Jesus is going to come and he's going to, he's going to transform us. He's going to give us a glorious body like his own. And the older you get, the more you shout amen at that. Paul says, stand firm in this. And then in chapter 4, which this was the last one really quickly, Paul uh, talks to these, these two women and says, hey, you guys need to agree together in the Lord. And in this third party, he says, hey, help them out with it. And then Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice, you know. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Bring it before him. Ask him for help. Ask him for deliverance. And give thanks. And the God of peace is going to grant you a peace beyond your understanding. And then he says, focus your mind, turn your mind on the things that are good and profitable and true and just and lovely and worthy of praise. And all this, all, this is all tied together in the sense of if, you're gonna, if, if your life is bound together with Christ, then you should be bringing everything to him. You should be giving thanks to him. You should be asking for him these things. And you should be focusing your mind, focusing your attention on what is true and good and lovely and just and worthy of praise because that's what the Lord Jesus is doing. My life is bound up in his. If his interests are coming above my own, I'm going to focus my attention on that. You want to not be anxious? You want to not be worried? Know this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is right here with you. He can change your circumstances like that. So don't be anxious. Focus on the Lord. Your life is hidden with Christ, is what he says in Colossians chapter 3. And then in verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now we'll start the new section in verse 10. I, this is Paul, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned... The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, That's how you say it. (laughs) Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There he ends the letter. Okay, we'll go back to verse 10. Start, start picking our way through this. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. Once again, he said this word a lot. Paul's doing a lot of rejoicing. I rejoiced in the Lord. Once again, he's not rejoicing because he won the lottery. He's not rejoicing because he just got married. He's not rejoicing because of any good thing in his circumstances. He's rejoicing in the Lord. If you want to have a life of joy, seek to view all of life, everything that's going on, through the lens of Jesus. Seek a unity with him of heart and mind, and you will find yourself able to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So here Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord, um, that, that now you've revived your concern for me. And then he, sa- he says, uh, you were indeed concerned for me. And it's, well, what, what do you mean? You had to revive it, but you already were? Well, probably what Paul is saying, you know, that this isn't a computer. He can't, there's no delete key. So he probably says, oh, oh, I'm so thankful that you've revived your concern for me. And he says, well, you know, it, it never really abated. Uh, you, you always had it. But what you lacked was an opportunity. You lacked an opportunity. And here what he's, what he's getting into, this concern that they have for him, um, is the concern about Paul's need. They, they had partnered uh, with Paul in giving to him financially. And that had, uh, that had abated for a time. And uh, so Paul says, hey, uh, I might have thought what gives. Maybe, maybe you'd forgotten about me, but guess what? You didn't. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am, or I have learned in every situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul is, this is very much circumstantial what Paul is talking about. Now he's, now he's getting into his circumstances. He's saying, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you have revived your, your concern for my material needs, my circumstances. Now that I'm in prison, uh, it's, it's become increasingly difficult. But he says, look, I'm actually, I'm actually okay. And the reason is because I have learned to be okay no matter what my circumstances are. That's what he means when he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Paul has has lived high on the hog. He's lived in the penthouse and the poorhouse. And he says, in either way, in either circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and, and, and hunger, abundance and need. And he says this in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Now, very often, this is another one of those promise verses that gets yanked out of context. And what people often uh, use that as, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. And so uh, well, let's just go back to the racing, uh, the, the run metaphor. So you think I'm going to get first place because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this verse is not, is not anything. You can do anything. Like if I flap my arms uh, in, in the Lord, I'll start flying or something like that. Uh, he means dealing with your circumstances in life. I can survive. I can endure. I can find joy in each and every circumstance, whether I'm brought low or whether I have abundance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, through him who strengthens me, but of course, it is Christ. So that's what that verse really is about. It's about when, when life takes a turn for the worst, Paul says, I'm still good. And when life takes a turn for the better, you don't suddenly go, oh, now things are good. You know, okay, things are taking a turn for the better. But there's this, uh, C.S. Lewis calls this in the the Screwtape Letters, the law of undulation. He uses that for, uh, Lewis uses that for how, how our life with Christ ebbs and flows. But there's a law of undulation in the circumstances of life. I don't know if you've realized that. Sometimes in life, things are going great, and sometimes things are going terrible. But no matter how they're going, they're probably going to change at some point. You know, even if you won the lottery and you got hundreds of millions of dollars, guess what? You may be infertile and not be able to have kids, and that's what you really, really, really long for. So life sucks, even though you got a ton. You may have gazillions of dollars, and that might produce for you some kinds of goods. But then the IRS can come and take it all away, or the stock market can crash, or you invested in business ventures and they go south. The economy can plummet. It can all go away. Or you can be barely scraping by on beans and rice, rice and beans, ramen and spaghetti. And then, boom, all of a sudden you land a great job or your, your art or your music gets recognized and all of a sudden you're, you have enough. Either way, there's a law of undulation. Circumstances are going to come and go. What's going to hold you steady? What's going to keep you content no matter what? Paul's found the secret. He can do all of that. He can get through all of that. He can endure it. He can actually rejoice in it. Through Christ Jesus. Through the one who strengthens him. Christianity is a mystical, a mystical religion, you can say. It is not just about getting information into our heads. It's not just about knowing. It's not about enlightenment. Knowing what is right. There is somehow this mysterious and mystical union that takes place between us 
in Jesus so that there's this intermingling of our lives so our lives are actually shared. That's what God is really interested in. If God were merely interested in creating beings to remain at a distance from him and perhaps to behave rightly, there never would have been an incarnation. There never would have been Jesus coming and dying on the cross. It would have been law indefinitely. Law, law, and more law. But the gospel tells us that God's intention has always been to dwell among human beings. And not just to dwell in a particular locale, like the temple, but to dwell in our hearts because we are now the temple. He has always intended to dwell with humanity, not in a particular space out there that you got to go to to find him, but to dwell in and through us, to co-mingle among us. And that was only made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that our sin could be removed. Remember in, in the Old Testament, you could only become a priest if you were of a particular tribe and if you had no imperfections in your body. If you had bodily imperfections, you could not be a priest. And so even if you did have, have these bodily, uh, you lacked these bodily imperfections, you had to wash and clean yourself and you had to use these certain garments and you could only approach God. Only one person could approach God one time a year and you had to bring a, a, a lamb or a sacrifice that was without blemish and you had to bring it before God in order to enter his presence. And the reason was that your sin had to be covered. Your sin had to be covered over. Because in the presence of God, sin is consumed and evaporated. And as long as it's, you, you are attached to your sin, you, get, you are evaporated by his glory. And so there needed to be a covering. And that's what the sacrifices were about. Jesus himself became that covering. So that our lives, being mingled with his, allows us to enter into the glory and presence of the Father. It's all done through the Holy Spirit, by the way. This is why the Trinity is so important. This is how it works. It's how it works. So, it is, it is a mystical union with Christ that Paul has discovered. That's the secret. Verse 14, he goes on. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Okay, so here's, now he's coming out directly and saying exactly what, it, what this partnership in the gospel with him is. He says in giving and receiving. And that is Paul relied on a certain measure of financial support. Traveling was a lot more expensive and took a lot more time than it does for us nowadays. Traveling is, is fairly expensive nowadays, and it's, it's going up. You know, inflation has, is the highest it's been in a very, very long time. And especially travel is going up because gas has gone, way, has gone up 50% in the last year. I don't know, by the time you hear this, it may, it may not be that way, but that's how it is immediately. Travel is expensive. It was very expensive for Paul. And traveling means that you, you can't work the whole time. 
You can't work while you're traveling. It's not like Paul had a laptop that he could do his work on. So it costs money. So they partnered with Paul. They were, they were giving to Paul financially. And he says from the beginning, there's, there hasn't been any other church that has been so steadfast in supporting Paul financially. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So that it's ongoing. It doesn't matter where Paul's been. They've tracked him down and given him support. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul once again says, not that I am seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Once again, Paul, if Paul were really concerned about his circumstances, he would be, he would be after the gift. But once again, Paul is not focusing his, his eyes on his own circumstances. He's like, uh, I started reading this biography of a guy named Chesty Puller. I haven't picked it up in a while. But he was the most decorated Marine in U.S. history. And he had uh, five Navy crosses um, and, and one, I think it was, I think a distinguished service cross from the Army. He was a Marine, which is a branch of the Navy. Most people don't know that. But, uh, so he got most of them from the Navy, but he also got a reward from the Army too, even though he wasn't part of the Army. But all of these, all of these crosses he got were, were crosses for valor. And the way that you, you get these distinguished crosses is by dis, the way you distinguish yourself is by blatant disregard for your own life in the process of accomplishing whatever the mission is. That's what Paul is doing. He has blatant disregard for his own circumstances in order to accomplish the mission. So he says, I'm not just seeking the gift, but I'm seeking what, uh, what will accrue to your credit. And then he goes on. Remember, he says, I've received full payment. I'm well supplied. Epaphroditus brought me the gift. And then he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's what I was just referring to. Uh, What I was referring to was a sacrificial system. But what Paul's referring to is there's another kind of sacrifice that isn't just the covering of sin so that you can enter God's presence. There was another kind of sacrifice called the free will offering. The free will offering. And that was one that you give freely. You just say, God, I want to give this to you. Not I'm, this is, this is my penitence. And, and this is offered as a covering for my own sin, my own wickedness. But this is just me giving thanks to you and sacrificing some of what you've given to me, I'm giving that and offering that back to you. And that was, very often it was the, the fat of that sacrifice, or there would be uh, oils and flour and incense that would go, and how it would have a sweet smell, how it would have a sweet aroma. Kind of like when you walk past a place that's barbecue, <laughs> 
and somebody's got barbecue going. That is a sweet aroma, isn't it? But he says this is a, this is a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It pleases God for us to sacrifice on his behalf. And we no longer uh, go buy a lamb and sacrifice the lamb as a way to, uh, as a, a pleasing offering to God. Now the way we, we do that is by partnering in the gospel. And that's, that's exactly what Paul is describing here. Paul doesn't say, oh yeah, you've, you've gone to temple and you've sacrificed a lamb. How, how is it that they're, they're making a sacrifice that's pleasing to God? It's by giving financially to Paul, to the ministry of the gospel. That's how they're partnering with him. Back in chapter 1, your partnership in the gospel from the beginning until now. They have partnered with Paul in financial giving. Do you realize that when you give, when you give to the church, you are not only partnering in the gospel, you are partnering in the gospel. You are partnering with the Lord and with others, your brothers and sisters, in seeing the gospel go forward in the world. But you are actually offering to God a sacrifice. And God accepts that sacrifice. And he is pleased with it. And he remembers it. In the words of Paul, it increases to your credit. It increases to your credit. You see, there will be a reward for all of us for the sacrifices. For those of us in the Lord, we will have a judgment. That judgment will not be whether or not we are cast from his presence, but the judgment will be one of rewards for how we have sacrificed and been faithful to him. Paul talks about that. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about that. But what we do, how we sacrifice, all the ways in which you sacrifice, however great or small, the Lord remembers them all. And he longs and desires to reward you for it. He will reward you. So what Paul says is, I'm rejoicing in your partnership in the gospel. Not because that's, that's going to improve my circumstances so much, but because that means you are having greater reward because God is looking at what you're doing. God sees it. God sees what you're doing. And he says, I'm, I'm pleased with that. I'm going to remember that. I am going to reward you for that. Verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, when we talk about circumstances, I know my God is going to supply every need of yours. You can't outgive God. If you are going to set yourself 
to make sacrifices for the Lord, he's going to take care of you. He will take care of your circumstances. He's going to supply, according to Paul, every need of yours according to his riches. What are his riches? He's got it all. It all belongs to him. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then, of course, Paul has to sort of burst into this um, uh, praise here where he says, To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. And then he has this final greeting here. We'll wrap it up. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So the gospel, once again, Paul is rejoicing because the gospel has made it all the way in to the highest echelons of society, to Caesar's household. Now, he might, he might refer to someone in the family of Caesar, but it's more likely that he's referring to slaves in Caesar's household. I mean, there's, there were plenty of slaves there. Um, so he says the gospel has made it into the, into the highest rungs of power in Caesar's household. It's there. It may be dormant. It may be quiet, but it's there still. So those in, the, uh, those in Caesar's household also greet them. And then in verse 23, the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul wants to bless them. He wants the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with their spirit. And the grace of the Lord Jesus cannot be separated from the Lord himself. Do you realize that? You don't get grace without the giver of grace. They're tied together. Just like you cannot separate God's word from the God whose word it is. Supporting the work of the Lord I'm preaching this, and Paul is preaching this. And you might think, well, that's convenient. <laughs> it's convenient for you guys. And, and we rightly have suspicions about this because people have abused the gospel. You know, there are preachers out there who have their own private airport, their own private jet, their multi-million dollar mansions. I'm not saying I'm jealous of them. But uh, I am thankful. I am thankful for the support of the church, the support of people like you who hear this. Because it allows me to continue in the work of the gospel, to give more hours, more of my life to preaching, to communing with God, and to supporting and hopefully blessing my brothers and sisters in the church. God bless you for supporting the church. He sees it, he remembers it. So, in the words of Paul, at the end of the, of the book of Philippians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen.